0: started last year at Ramapo and William Patterson. We have a really special ministry uh, called Capernaum for students with special needs. And uh, right now at camp, we have a group uh, called Young Lives who, in collaboration with Lighthouse Pregnancy in Patterson, ministers to teen moms and their babies. Um, In fact, I just got home from camp last night. Uh, Aaron emailed me maybe, I don't know, a week or two ago, and asked me to come and preach, and uh, the date seemed a little funny to me. I wasn't sure if I was going to be around, and I'm like, oh man, that's the next morning after I get home from camp. Should I do this? Uh, But I've been trying to get together with Aaron for a long time. We seemed to pass each other in our uh, side office at the Midland Park Starbucks, Thursday mornings. He seems to be there a lot. I seem to be there quite a bit. Um, And so I was like, well, this might be an opportunity for me to win some points and get a meeting with Aaron Syvertson, which would be amazing. Um, So Young Life Camp is a crazy experience. Um, We brought 30 students from this area up to Saranac Village, which is in upstate New York. It's on a huge, beautiful lake. I think there's going to be a picture. There we go, our picture there. When I say we go to camp, a lot of people think, oh, camping, you're in tents. That must be hard. Um, it is hard, but it's not tents. Uh, there's beautiful buildings. The picture here, it's kind of dark, I guess, because it was around 7.30 or 8 o'clock. They did a boat show kind of the first day of camp, and down by the boat dock, You can see there's several hundred kids on the dock. Um, They come by with all the different boats that we have, and one of those is the parasail. Um, So they are zooming by, and I was like, what a great opportunity. Take that picture. What I love about being able to go to Young Life camp, especially, uh, is the opportunity to walk kids through this really important uh, effort to bring them to the feet of Jesus, to have an assignment team, uh, volunteers that are uh, college students and high school students that are putting everything together at camp. And then there's staff people like me who are bringing kids, and I had six volunteer leaders with us from the area. And really everything that we do there is to introduce these kids to who Jesus is. It's kind of incredible. And to know that we're on that same mission that we are kind of gathered together with the sole focus of lifting up Jesus. Some of those kids that were there had never heard any of the stories about Jesus. And and when the speaker shared stories from the Bible, they were like, where is he making this up from? Like, no, it's right here. Some of those kids had been to church. They've grown up in church, and they hear those stories and they're like, I've heard that before, but I never realized that that's what it was about. that's what it meant. We got home at about 8.30 last night. Uh, Our bus was delayed two hours. Thank you, bus company. Um, But yesterday morning at our last club, they do something called the say-so. And the say-so is an opportunity in the middle of these hundreds of kids for any of those students who have made a decision to follow Christ to stand up. Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so we give them that opportunity. And what a joy to bear witness to that, to stand there and to see it was about 120 kids stand there before their friends, many of them with tears in their eyes, and say that this week they decided to follow Jesus. It's unbelievable. It's a beautiful thing, and um, several years ago, I had the privilege of being there with Brian Cabot, and we shared a cabin when he was a volunteer leader, um, and it's just the history of being able to go back and to go through the process, and even though it's kind of the same, it's kind of like I'm, a, I'm from South Jersey, so I'm a Sixers and Eagles fan, thank you. Um, But I found myself saying many times this week, trust the process. You know, reminding myself, which is kind of a Sixers thing, for any of you who know that. Um, But trust the process. We're going through these steps. We're proclaiming the gospel in, in a certain way, in a certain order, so that kids can hear the fullness, the richness of it. We're giving them life experiences that, man, they came out of their comfort zone like you wouldn't believe. Going up on a parasail is really scary to somebody who's never been on a parasail. It's scary to me, and I've been on a parasail many times. But when you go 300 feet on a line that goes out behind a boat, it gets scary. But we do those things to get them out of their comfort zone. When Aaron asked me, what are you going to preach about? And then um, I kind of was thinking, oh, geez, I don't know. I want to see what happens this week at camp, and maybe I'll be able to come up with something. Um, relevant. And, but God said, um, talk about be my witness. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot, kind of what our, what our role as Christians should be or is, what our calling is, what we are saved to. I've been reading this book um, by a Princeton seminary professor, which is really hard to get through. Um, but Daryl Guter writes this book called Be My Witness and he says that we often lose sight of what we are saved to do and we focus only on what we are saved either from or what we are saved, you know, personally for like the benefits of it and we get stuck in those benefits and we lose sight of the fact that we're called to be witnesses so let me share with you from the book of acts chapter 1 If you want to follow along, we'll start in the first verse, but it says In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Matthew 28, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus tells the disciples, the apostles here, to be His witnesses. And it's a command that kind of lasts through the ages for us to be His witnesses. I love that Luke starts off and he reminds us that he's writing to Theophilus. Um, If you recall. From the Gospel of Mark, Mark, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, he tells us in the beginning, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We know, we know about Luke that he was a physician, that he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys, that he, he tells us himself that he sought out eyewitnesses, the disciples, Mary. He got the stories firsthand firsthand. From the people who were there present with Jesus. He decided to write an orderly account. He took notes. He listened. He really soaked it all in. It's interesting that in Acts, in this passage, Jesus had been crucified and is risen, and he stayed with them for 40 days, and he gave them many convincing proofs that it was him and that he was alive. And yet, what do they turn to? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Not the fact that he, they had wept over his crucifixion. They had feared for their own lives, that they had experienced 40 days of amazing, miraculous, risen, resurrected Jesus. But they're worried, like, is it now? Is the time coming Now? And to assure them, his response is, wait for the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but you're going to get something better. You're going to get the Holy Spirit, and when that power comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world. When we talk about all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the world, Jesus' message has no boundaries. It's meant for everybody. In Acts 2, at the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on them like tongues of fire. And in fact, we're given the first glimpse as they speak in tongues, or they speak in their own language, but people from around the world can understand them. And we know that the, the, the world, the global vision of Jesus' message and his mission comes to light. So what does it mean to be a witness? Anybody been on jury duty before? Uh, in so many ways, we, we seem to be bombarded with hearings and witnesses and courtroom dramas. Netflix has a lot of great shows on courtroom dramas and lawyer shows, and um, our news is filled with hearings lately. We've, we've witnessed over the past 30 years some incredible, like, Trial of the centuries. There's lots of trials of the centuries, it seems like. Um, But throughout the Bible, so many people bear witness to God's glory and His action. The things that God has done, our prophets gave notice to the people of Israel. They said, This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord told me. This is the vision that the Lord gave me. And they share that. A witness can be in a legal sense, like this courtroom drama, or it could be in a historical sense. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I guess it was last week, time flies, um, my wife and I went to a concert at Bethel Woods, which is the site of the original Woodstock. So we had to go through the Woodstock Museum. And it was pretty cool to see all the displays and to, and to see the quotes from different people that had been there, right? And there was millions of people that were there, but just to to, to hear them talk about this experience, and they just knew that it was going to be something that was probably never going to be repeated again, probably for a good reason. Um, but they were there, you know, and, and there was artifacts and clothing, you know, people had saved their their bell-bottom jeans and, you know, whatever, their other stuff that they had, and, and there were all these displays, right? And so, we can be witnesses to history as well. We can be witnesses in so many ways to the things that happen in our own lives, and maybe some of you have been called on to be witnesses in a, in a courtroom, and, and that can be very scary. It can be one of those things. Um, before coming on Young Life staff, I was a practicing attorney and did a lot of litigation and it was always interesting to me that people would say, they would ask me, well, what should I say? Like The truth. (laughs) You should tell them exactly what you remember and how it happened. Uh, We're not trying to make things up, you're a witness to what happened. You're not a fiction writer, right? (laughs) And yet, it's really hard sometimes to remember. What happened? Or sometimes the events of things that happen are clouded by our own histories. They're clouded by our biases. They're clouded by our maybe the angle that we were able to see things at. We seem to live in a culture of witness uh, now. Um, Anybody read reviews? Amazon, Yelp, uh, Facebook? There's so many different places to look for reviews. I love to, to down, well, I have the app Yelp, um, and wherever we go and travel, I'm always trying to find a good place for dinner. My wife is gluten-free, so it's like gluten-free dinner. Um, and it's really hard to find those, but then you read the reviews and you can tell whether it's really gluten-free or not, or if it just says, uh, and they, gluten-free means they'll offer you a salad, which my wife doesn't like. Well, she likes salad, but she doesn't like that that's the gluten-free option. <laughs> and yet, think of the way that we witness through reviews. I would imagine in, in a congregation of this size that some of you have, most of you have read reviews. Some of you have written reviews. Um, I think it's said that more people will write about the bad things than they will about the good things, Right? And sometimes those bad reviews are more powerful than the good ones. We kind of sift through people's reviews. Part of our culture is also social media and we document everything. Uh, We get to, it's fun in a lot of ways that we get to see our friends from high school and their kids that are graduating high school, what they had for breakfast, uh, (laughs) what it looked like when they walked through some monument on vacation, whatever it is. Uh, But the kids that I work with in Young Life, uh, they're documenting things like so regularly on Snapchat, on Instagram. It stays there briefly. They add to their story throughout the day. You know, Instagram has a story feature. Snapchat has the story feature. Uh, And so they've become accustomed to documenting everything, to share with other people. And so when we think about what what does it mean when Jesus says, be my witness, man, it's not that hard to figure out, is it? Especially as we live in this culture of what it means to be a witness. Or maybe it's even from the news. You can't help but, you know, cell phone video is the new, like, journalistic tool, right? And everybody, whenever there's an event of note, you can see in the video that they decide to show on TV, you can see all the other phones that are recording what's going on. And in so many ways, that's great. It reveals injustice when nobody else is there to show the signs of that. Sometimes it's it's so pervasive that it's like the dueling pictures. I'm going to record you, you're going to record me. We're going to wait for somebody to make a mistake. And then, and then I'm going to splice it, and I'm going to show that little edit of it. And yet, we're all witnesses. We're kind of witnesses to things in real time even, aren't we? It doesn't take long for these videos to make it to, uh, to go viral, to, to go down the news, to, to have something that everybody sees. But what is our role as a witness to what God has done? What, is our, what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? How do we live that out in our Christian faith? There's one thing that I love to do um, with our high school kids. I kind of try to take them by surprise at campaigners. Be like, all right, two-minute testimonies. Who's ready? Right? And uh, it really throws them off. And, but usually it starts... And people love to hear each other's stories. And kids love to hear other people's stories. They might be nervous about sharing their own. But it's like, here's a time to get going. So being a witness might involve sharing your story. It might involve sharing your testimony, which seems to be kind of a special type of speech that we've kind of created in our Christian culture. right? But sometimes it's even beyond that, and it's just in an everyday conversation. Of what God has done for us. If we look at 2 Corinthians, there's a couple of different places, but in 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. being a witness, is being Christ's ambassadors. God is using us. He's working through us to reconcile the world to himself. And God doesn't want anyone to perish, so we better get busy, right? We often think um, it's for other people, and especially being on Young Life staff and trying to recruit volunteers to step into the lives of kids, it's always really hard because people say, I'm just not cut out for that. I'm not well-equipped. There's a nervousness about doing that, and yet God says, you're my ambassador. Go out there into that world. Be salt. Be light. In everything you do, in your family, in your workplace, at your school, among your friends, in your church. It's great that we are able to witness to each other and share both the joy of our Christian lives and often the frustration or the disappointment and the sorrow. But some of the strongest witness comes from our brothers and sisters. When we can hear what's happened, when they can... Share stories of healing, when they can share stories of overcoming things, when Jesus has brought peace into a family or into someone's life. Those are powerful stories, and that's what it means to be a witness. As we set out to be witnesses in an unbelieving world, we can give ourselves a lot of grace because we do so in God's power and not in ours. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so now you go out and make disciples of all nations. And then he also says, by the way, I will be with you to the end of the age. Uh, the head leader at our camp this week was so great and inspirational. He was giving a charge to all the leaders that were there. And he said, listen, our job is to lift up Jesus. That's all we need to do. We need to make sure our kids are there. They can hear the speaker. We need to ask them good questions about themselves. But it's not your responsibility. You just need to lift up and glorify Jesus. And if we all do that, we're going to see results. And praise God, we did. You know? And yet, here, as we sit and we go into our daily lives, we're so afraid. I'm afraid. I... Lose sight of the urgency sometimes. I, I had a friend who passed away in January, and I met with him in the fall, and I was like, wow, he's been struggling with cancer. He seems like he's good. I don't know where he is. We were friends in college. I'm not really sure where he is in his faith, and I think I, I know. I choked, you know, because I was like, well, this is good. We've reconnected. I'll be able to see him again, but I wasn't. I, don't, I regret that I missed the opportunity. And I think we lose sight of the urgency of what it means to be a witness. We lose sight of the fact that we might not get another opportunity. We lose sight of the fact that sometimes our lives and our witness might be the only example of Christ that others see. Man, I want to encourage you and myself... To try harder, to not lose sight of the urgency that's out there. One of the things, one of the things that keeps us from being a witness is kind of also where our culture has gone, uh, where it's a little bit scary. We, the the enemy, has brought a whole scheme into the world to um, to make it judgmental that we would want to share our faith with somebody who doesn't have a faith, uh, or they have a different faith. It's made in the name of tolerating their religious background, or their cultural background, or their orientation, or their, um, their denominational beliefs that might be different than our denominational beliefs. It's restricted us from wanting to share. And so, we remain silent so as not to offend. I've had people that um, have shared with me a couple of things. One is, Jesus just calls us to love people, which is 100% true. And I say, well, what's the most loving thing we can do? Do I really believe that Jesus is what teenagers need? Because if I do, loving them means sharing Jesus with them. Do I really believe that my neighbors need Jesus because their family's falling apart? Because if I really do, then sharing them the peace and joy that can come through a life with Christ is loving them. That's what love is. It's not sitting back and waiting for them to be destroyed and reach out to us. It's us recognizing the situation and stepping into it. Young Life has uh, a couple of principles that go along with our mission of introducing kids to Christ and helping them grow in their faith. And one of the strongest ones of those is earning the right to be heard, which is a really solid thing, because the saying goes, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? And so, it's important to build relationship and that in the midst of that relationship we share the truth about who Jesus is. Where that falls apart though is when they need it in the moment and they need it because life is getting really hard for them. They need it when we hear that they've drifted, they've been self-harming, they've um, gone into all kinds of things. When they've lost a parent or a friend, they can't wait. And I often liken that to, I told this story at Saranac on the lake. If we see somebody falling out of a boat, we're not going to say, um, I'm not sure I'm, they would want to accept a life ring from me because I don't know them well enough. I don't want to offend them. If I throw them this life ring and they can swim, then they're going to be like, what are you doing throwing me a life ring? (laughs) Right? What's the most loving thing? As a parent, when our kids start walking into the middle of the street, or they start reaching for the hot stove, or they start... um, doing something we know they shouldn't be doing. It's dangerous. We don't sit back. We stop them. If we're on a, if we're out in a crowd and we're in New York City and someone's walking on their phone and the light is red, hopefully somebody's going to put an arm out and stop them because it's the right thing to do. We're not going to be like, shoot, I don't want to offend them. They might walk in front of a big truck, but i it's not loving of me. It's the most loving thing we can do is to save somebody, to offer them that help that they need. So there's an urgency. One other thing from Second Corinthians as we wind this down. From 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and also those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, we are an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task?" We can't be afraid to offend. Our lives, our, what we do, what we say, our stories are the aroma of Christ. To some, it's the aroma of life. because. They are seeking something greater that they don't know what it is. To others, it stinks. It's the aroma of death. And they're not going to accept it. And you know what? That's okay. God is still working through us as his ambassadors to be his witnesses. So let me just encourage us that as we go out, check in with yourselves and with each other, do we really believe that Jesus is what this world needs?